story goes, and this is one of those preacher stories, um, of a little girl who had a mother and her hands were horribly scarred. Um, and the little girl was always repulsed by her mom's scarred hands. And so one day the little girl gets a little older and she says, Mommy, says, what happened to your hands? And uh, she said, well, when you were a little baby, our, ho- our house caught fire. And uh, I was trying to get into your room and busting down the door. And the door was on fire and I burned my hands pushing on the door. And I reached in and I brought you out. And that's what happened to my hands. And the little girl said to her mom, said, Mom, those are the most beautiful hands I've ever seen. And when we sing He's Beautiful, it's not because of the great things He does for us. It's not because of the sunshine in our life. It's Him beaten and bruised on the cross. Beaten and bruised on the cross. Because it's in that that He won our victory. He paid the price for our sins. He gave us victory over death, sin, and the grave. And that's where he's most beautiful. Amen? And remember this. And this I don't know. Well, there's a lot we don't know. Hey, Dave, these are really hot up here again tonight. Way hot. Um, I don't know. We, we kind of speculate what will our glorified bodies be like. You know, we we're going to be in the prime of life. And frankly, we don't know. We really don't know. But we do know this. We do know that when we get to heaven and we see Jesus face to face... If you ask him to hold his hands out, there's going to be the scars. You know why we know that? Because Jesus was in his glorified body when he came back from the grave. And Thomas said, I'm not going to believe unless you show me the, the nailed hands, the nail scarred hands and the side. And when Jesus saw Thomas, said, Thomas, put your finger here and see the scars. Put your hand in my side. And forever, those beautiful hands are going to remind us of the price that Jesus paid that we could be free and we could be saved. Isn't that wonderful? It really, really is. All right. Well, we changed sermons. Uh, we were going to do one on the talents tonight, leading into the church, leading into next week. But instead, I want to go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 20 um, through 26. It's a natural tie-in to this morning. We didn't finish that last verse that we had, verse 20, but really is a good tie-in. This morning was one of those times it was just great to be in the house of the Lord. Um, it's great to hear we're redeemed, and we are. It's great to know that God doesn't see us as this huge failure. And it's, it's good to know that God loves us so much. But today, um, I'm not a very deep person, so I don't mean this deep in the sense of knowledge because I'm not that, that smart. But I do want to get a little meatier tonight with us about really about who we are and Christ and the challenge that we have. If I was going to use a word tonight, I would use that word. I want to challenge us tonight in a deeper level in what it means to be a Christ follower and what it means to be his ecclesia, his called out ones. I really, when I issue this challenge, I really want you to, to attempt. I want you to attempt to, to understand, because I don't do a good job sometimes, to grasp the power of what I'm trying to teach you. And, and I know I know what happens. We, we have a tendency on this level. I really want you to go down deeper with me. And again, not in knowledge, not in Greek usage, nothing that. But get in really what it means when we follow Jesus Christ. It will help us. Because we have added a lot of fluff. We've had a lot of whipped cream. We've had a lot of things to what it means to be a Christian today. And as an example, when we say you're beautiful, our first thought would be, oh, yes, he's beautiful. He did. He, he gave me a job and he saved my marriage and he healed my child and all those things. And those are all wonderful things. But the beauty of Jesus Christ is the sacrifice of the cross. It's the gospel. It's the grace that God's extended us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the setup is this. 
So, so we finished, you know, Peter has made that great proclamation. You are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And, and Jesus said, you know, you're so blessed because of this. And you didn't come up with this on your own. My father has revealed this to you. And you are Peter. You're a stone. And upon this rock, this truth that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, upon that rock, I'm going to build my church. It's going to be my church. It's not going to be your church, Peter. Uh, you're not going to be head of your church because you don't have a church. I'm the one of the church. You know, if, if you want have a church, you've got to go down a cross, which ultimately he did, of course, and save the world, which he could not, of course. And so he said, Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on this and the gates of hell. And I hope you didn't hear that as preacher rhetoric. I hope you didn't just get it. That boy, that preaches good. I really hope you got that. That, that Satan is a defeated foe. That Christ defeated death and sin and, and on the cross. And we are victorious. We're not going to be victorious. We are victorious in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 20, Jesus says something that would kind of go, huh? And here's what it says in Matthew 16, 20. Then he commanded, in the Greek is a very strong word. He, he demanded that his disciples should tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, ain't that odd? I mean, here, Peter's just had this great revelation from God that you are the Christ, and, and there are people out there who need to know you're the Christ. And, and then Jesus says, now, great, that's good. Now, listen, don't tell anybody. Have you ever had times when it seemed like God just didn't make sense in your life? I, I promise you were there. You were there. I promise you some of the disciples were scratching their head going, Whoa, whoa, we don't understand. You, know, you, you just confirmed the fact that, that you're the Christ. You know, Peter said it. You confirmed it. That's exactly who I am. And our nation's been waiting all these thousands of years for you to come. This is big, big news. And Jesus said, don't tell anybody. And the, and the reason why is this. There was nothing more important... Than the cross. The reason he came to this earth, the reason he lived, was he had a date and an appointment on a rugged cross, not just dying, but dying a sacrificial death that we could he, he could atone for our sins. That's the whole reason he came. And the last thing he wanted was for people to misunderstand because their concept of a Messiah was victory over Rome. Their concept of a Messiah was earthly freedom, an earthly kingdom with a king ruling, and Rome overthrow, overthrown. And the last thing he wanted was to be taken as king that way. So he knew the people weren't ready to receive this. So he said, right now, don't tell anybody who you are. And don't we do that? I mean... If we, had our, if we had our brothers sometime, wouldn't we really like for God to just show off sometime in big spectacular ways? So we go, wow, look, you know, this is the kind of God we want. You know, we spend a lot of time going, how could a loving God allow that? How, how could a loving God do that? We spent a lot of time doing that. And we had our druthers, we would have the kind of God, I mean, come on, from a human sense, we'd have the kind of God that, that we you know, we'd go, wow, God did this. I, mean, I was broken. God made money. I was sick. And he healed me. I needed a job. And boom, got a job just like that. It's just an amazing thing. You know, uh, Judy quoted me something from, uh, we think it was from Phil Shriver, who was a great uh, teacher of the Word of God. And she said, she said, God created man in his own image, and then man returned the favor. You get that? God created man in his own image, then man returned the favor. What does that mean? It means this. God created us in his image, and now we have created God in our image or the way we want God. We, 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 have, we have created a God that acts and does exactly like we want Him to do. The only problem is it's not Jehovah God. 
It's not creator God. Listen, we are the created. He is the creator. He's the boss and we're not. He is, Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords and we're not. So you've got to remember that. You've got to grab that. That's the first truth you really need to latch on is that you serve the sovereign, holy, creator God of the universe. You are his servant. Yes, you're his child. Yes, you're redeemed. But God saved you that you may bring glory to his name by serving and advancing his kingdom. That's why you're still here. So, so when Jesus said that, that, listen, don't tell anybody because they weren't ready to receive this truth. The, the nation of Israel was not ready to receive this truth. And then he really blows their mind. Here's what he says. From that time, and apparently this all flows right together. Matthew's right, right together. From that, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. Now remember, this all follows Peter going, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. It all just follows this. That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Now, can you even fathom that? I can't. I mean, these are men who left their families. They left their jobs. They left their professions. And, and one day Jesus walked up and said, follow me. And they did. And in their brain, as good Jewish men, they honestly believed that when Messiah came, there's going to be this earthly kingdom. And what that meant was he would be the king and they would be princes. It was a good deal. It was a good gig. That's what it seemed like. And it didn't happen that way. Jesus saying, no, 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 that's not it. See, I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to arrest me and they're going to kill me. And I'm going to rise again on the third day. And I used to say, you know, I used to think to myself that, you know what? They just didn't hear that part. I'm not so sure. I think they heard it because it didn't negate the fact that they really thought that Jesus was going to be this military conquering ruler king. And in that, they would profit greatly. And in this scenario, there was not a lot of profit. Imagine selling out like that. And you can't imagine. You know why? Because some preacher told you, just trust Jesus and everything will be okay. Just trust Jesus and you'll never get sick. Just trust Jesus and you'll never want for physical money. Just trust Jesus and, and you put the and there. Some preacher somewhere along the way told you that. And again, it's a great story and it sells really good. I mean, what Jesus just said doesn't sell. didn't sell to the 12. It doesn't sell uh, to the public. It doesn't sell to the public today. The truth is, the truth is not very sellable in the sense that people embrace it and say, oh, that's great. So what we do is we embrace a God that we perceive that will do everything and anything we want to. And some preacher promised you that. And guess what? It didn't happen. And some of you somewhere, you have this great physical, you have this great spiritual scar in your heart. Because you thought God was going to do something. Because, again, some preacher quoted a verse out of context and said that. And then God didn't come through. And you're still here tonight. But you're going, yeah, but he didn't. I'm telling you guys. The basis of what we have tonight is, is that I know it seems this is what we seem like it ought to be to be a follower of Christ. But tonight we want to see the reality Oh, it means to be a follower of Christ. I promise you this. I don't think that. I'm not stretching the scriptures. I don't have to pull out of context. These men were devastated. This is not what they signed up for. And every one of you, somewhere in your past, you have a thing where you didn't sign up for that. It happened. It didn't turn out that way. A husband cheated. A wife cheated. A kid went astray. Um, again, cancer, illness. And you're saying, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. God, you're great and you're good. And this doesn't sound very great or good. You know, what about that? That kind of what happens with Peter. In verse, in verse 22, 
Now, this is so powerful. And again, it's so cool because it's very plain. We don't have to embellish it in any way. So Peter, the guy who just said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, pulls him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, I looked this up, and the word rebuke there has strong disapproval. If you're taking notes, write that down. This is, this is not, um, Jesus, I really don't think this is a good idea. This is, this is Peter rebuking the Son of God. The one he just said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That guy, Peter looks at him and strongly shows disapproval in what he says. Right from the Greek. You know, he begins to rebuke him saying, far be it. And again, the Greek translation is, forbid it, Lord. Forbid it, God. And it's cool. Here's God's great, big, massive plan. Okay? And Peter's going, forbid it, God. Listen, you can forbid God to do his plan all you want, but God's going to do what he wants to do. You just mark it down. Over in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, it says this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's way above us. And God is going to do His wonderful, redemptive plan for us, for the world, and for us as individual believers. So, so Peter says, Far, God forbid... Jesus, that you should do this. Now, now, why? Why did he respond so strongly? Well, first off is this. He just said, you are the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And here's the problem. Here's the problem. The Messiah wasn't supposed to die. Now, I know we all know Isaiah 53. We got that. They didn't. And so Peter's going, okay, I'm stumped. I, I don't get this. You said you're the Messiah. You confirmed the fact that I said you're the Messiah. You probably said that was right. And Messiahs don't die. Messiahs conquer. Messiahs rule. So there was one problem for Peter. The second is, I think he really loved Jesus. I think he really did. He, he had a glimpse of what it meant to die. He had a glimpse of the disapproval. When he described, he says, we must go to Jerusalem. We must suffer many things. The elders and chief priests and scribes will be killed. He kind of got a picture of all that. He understood that. So his love for Jesus... He said, Jesus, I don't want you to go through that. But I'm going to be very honest with you. I think the greatest, when I say I think, I can think that based on Scripture, it's his love for Jesus, but it's love for himself. What do you mean, Dwayne? Well, let me ask you a question. If Jesus is the leader, and he's going to Jerusalem, and he's going to be scourged, crucified, and killed... What are the chances that happen to the people who hang around him? Good or bad? High or low? Yeah, yeah. So Peter's kind of, again, I really believe it. Peter is going, hmm, if they're going to do that to him, what are they going to do to us? And so I'm certain Peter's got in his brain, he's saying, wait a minute, Jesus, you're going to die. That increases the odds of we're going to die. Now it's not a good gig either. So, so when he refused, she says, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Yes, Yes, Jesus, you're the Messiah. You can't die. Jesus, you understand? I, I love you. I don't want you to go through this. But what about us? What about us? We, we, we don't want to die either. We, we don't want this to happen to us either. Ever done that? See, so often we choose to walk away from sharing the gospel and being the gospel in this world. Because what will it cost? I know students go through this. You know, going to the SIU. Man, it'd be hard to stand for Christ. That's like Sturgis, Kentucky, or Sturgis, South Dakota. It's a pretty hard place. It's a, it's a carnal place. 
It'd be hard. Some of you guys in the mind, Todd, in the mind, you know the pressure of what if I've been about Christ. It's hard, and it is hard. But it's right. It's right. It's right. So Peter says, this doesn't sound right. And, and you know what? I really have my eye on that, that Prince gig. And I think it's not like going to happen. So this was like a lose, 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 lose situation. And that, this, by the way, this clearly shows that Peter didn't fully understand even what he said. When he said, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God, he didn't fully get it. Because in his mind, Messiah was what? Conquering king. In God's plan, it was suffering Messiah. It was Isaiah 53. Did not fully understand it at all. Now, what's going to be Jesus' response? What is what is what what is our response when things happen? And, and, and what would Jesus say to us if we're here? And, and Jesus said, I've got this plan for your life, and it involves cancer, or it involves going to be a missionary in a place I can't name to you because it, it's a security risk. You know, I got plans for your grandkids, and you're not going to see them for three years. I mean, I got I got plans for your family, and they're difficult. Don't we kind of want to say, God forbid? How would Jesus, or what would Jesus say if he were standing here like he did to Peter? Well, his response to Peter is very, very stern. Here's what it says. Verse 23. Now listen. But he turned and he said to Peter, and here's the hard words. I still say you wouldn't want Jesus to be your pastor. Get behind me, Satan. Now, again, I use nothing but conservative commentaries. If it's not conservative, I don't use it. One of those conservative commentaries said possibly Satan, Jesus was speaking to Satan. Get me behind me, Satan. All the rest of the commentaries said like it probably is. That Peter was acting like Satan. And Jesus said, get me behind me, Satan. Peter, you're acting like Satan. And then he says this, he says, you are an offense to me. If you're taking notes, circle the word offense. It means trap. You're an entrapment to me. You're, you're trying to tangle up my feet on my way to my destiny of the cross. You're trying to prevent happening what the very reason I came was to die on the cross. And you're trying to prevent that from happening regardless of why. Regardless if Messiahs don't die. Regardless if you love me. Regardless if you're worried about yourself. You're trying to entrap me and keep me from being the Savior of the world. And guess who else did that? Satan. Take your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. I really want you to get this. This is the story of the temptation of Jesus, and we certainly don't have time to go in detail to it, um, but we can get some of it. Um, he's been in the wilderness for 40 days. You reckon he's hungry? Yeah, yeah, he's hungry. And so, verse 3. And the devil said, Satan said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. Now again, I taught a series on this, and the idea of a bread Messiah is very attractive. Now, if Jesus came to garner a following, okay, if he wanted people to follow him, in quotes, all right, what better way than a bread ministry? We, we saw what happened. I mean, he fed... He fed 5,000 men plus women and children, and then later on in John chapter 6 said, you know, I know you're only following me for the bread. I mean, if you wanted to be a, a Messiah and garner a group, just feed them. 
And so Satan says, hey, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? People will think that's phenomenal. And you come out following, you will be a rock star famous. And then that's when Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, verse number 5, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And the devil said, no, all this authority I will give you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all this will be yours. You don't need to go to the cross. Satan says, you don't need to go to the cross. You want, you want authority? You want the world? I can give you authority because it's been given to me. I can give you authority. I can give you the world. All I want, listen, you don't have to do it for eternity. You don't have to do it for five days. You don't have to do it for a moment, you know, for five minutes. Just fall down and worship me, and I'll give you everything because it's mine to give. Who needs a cross? I can get a following. I can give you authority. I can give you the world. Just follow me. Does this sound familiar with Peter yet? And then, of course, then Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Does that sound familiar? Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. Him alone shall you serve. Does that sound that familiar? Isn't that incredible? You know why Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan? Because he was saying, Jesus, there doesn't need to be a cross. You can be the Messiah conquering king. People will flock to you. They love your miracles. You can feed them. And we've got to be careful we don't do that to the world. That we don't offer them this Messiah. Hey, the cross no longer is important. Look at my cross. The cross is no longer important. You know, you know Jesus this and Jesus that and promise them the moon. Friend, let me tell you something. We can't promise them the moon. But let me tell you what we can promise them. We can promise them redemption. We can promise them forgiveness of sins. We can promise them forgiveness and a relationship with God through His grace, through faith, by Jesus Christ Son. We can promise them that. And, and, and then there's a day, there's a better day coming. We sang about it and you're beautiful. You know, there, there comes a day when, when the wedding bells will ring, when, oh, I love it, did you hear it? When death will be a memory and tears will be no more. Hey, hey church, guess what? There will be tears on this earth. There will be death in this world. But there's coming a day there'll be no tears. There'll be no death. And that's what we are living for. Not this world, but that world to come. Take that home. Take it home. That, that changes the whole perspective. I go back to the movie Acts of God. The closing, one of the closing scenes. And the lady with cancer looks at the lady who lost her daughter and her husband. What if this is all real? And folks... If heaven's real, then guess what? It changes whole narrative. Guess what? It is real. It is real. It is real. So, so when 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 Satan makes his promise, I'll give you the world. You don't have to go to the cross. And I love the last one. They brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, "If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. And for his written, he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And your in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot upon a stone." Jesus, don't do the cross thing. Listen, jump from the pinnacle. It's about 30 yards, 40 yards, pretty high. Just jump down. And God has said, does that not sound familiar? Hasn't some preacher said to you, called some promise out of context? Didn't God say? Well, God has said, just jump off. You know, funny how we make plans and ask God to bless them. Isn't that crazy? We, we mess up and then spend a lot of time in prayer asking God to fix what we mess up. You know, just jump off. Because what's going to happen is, right before you hit the ground, the angel's going to grab you. God's not going to let anything happen to his son. 
the pinnacle of the temple. It's not out in the desert. It's in the pinnacle of the temple. And all these people are going to go, wow, did you see that? And you'll have a gathering. And people will gather around you. You don't have to go to the cross. And that's the context of what's happening with Peter. Jesus, you don't need to do the cross. And then Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. He says this. For you are not mindful. And again, in the commentary of the Greeks, it says, you have not pondered. You've not meditated on. You've not dwelt on the things of God, but the things of men. You've not pondered. You're not mindful. You haven't really thought this out concerning the things of God and the things of men. Now listen to me. That's important. We, the Bible says in James chapter 1, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Is that what it says? And we have, like, you know, Jesus speaks to Peter and says, Peter, you're conflicted. You're thinking more about man. You're thinking about me personally, not as Savior, but you're thinking of me as your friend. You don't want me to suffer. You're thinking about yourself. You know, you, you've got plans and they're grandiose plans and, and, and the eyes of you, they're great plans. But you're not thinking about As a church, as believers, we've got to nail this down. We've got to worry about us and what we want and what we think, the kind of church we want, the kind of church we think, the kind of life we want and life we think, and be mindful of the things of God. And again, there's no better illustration than that. Matt. No great illustration. You know, Matt, here, here's Matt, he's a successful lawyer. He lays it down, not counted as a sacrifice, and goes to a far world that's very dangerous. Took two grandkids with him. And you know what? He doesn't even see it as a sacrifice. You know what he sees it as? Normal. You know why? Matt came to the conclusion at a, together with the gospel conference, that he had to be mindful of the things of God and not the things of men. It happens in pastor's life. Pastors will climb the church ladder. Uh, pastors will do what's good for them professionally. We do what's good for us professionally. We do what's good for us as a church, what promotes the church, what's good for the church. Maybe, you know, temptation to soften sin, soften the word of God, all those things. No. Are we going to be mindful of the things of God or mindful of things of man? Students, are you going to be mindful of the things of God or mindful of things of man? Young brothers and sisters, and men and women, are we going to be mindful of things of God or mindful of things of man? What are we going to dwell in? We've got to choose. You know, again, as a church, again, I'm not sure how it happened. This happened over 14 years. At least as I'm sure, I, I came in way the journey, I'm sure. But over 14 years, I'm so blessed to know that we have progressed in being mindful of the things of God. Some of the things we do are difficult. Some of the things we do are hard. They're expensive. They're risky sometimes. But that's how God operates. That's the things of God. And so until the great example sits down there. Some of you weren't here for this journey. But we had our mind to build a new sanctuary. We needed very, you know, we were out going this one. People sit behind the pillar couldn't see, couldn't hear. And so we decided to build a sanctuary. It sounded like a good plan. Could I have some classrooms on the side of the fellowship hall? It was going to be few temple. And God, I don't want details for time's sake, but if God ever closed the door, he did that one. Price is still went up like crazy. <laughs> the dear architect who said, I will not take you down the road if you cannot afford. And we told him to spend 1.5 or even 3.4 million. After we're down the concrete floors, 
in the sanctuary. We still couldn't afford it. Prices still were going up every week, and God closed the door. Someone, yes, why don't we build a multi-purpose building? Why don't we design the build? And we did. And God has gifted us with this tool. Now, it's not near as pretty as this, but this morning, 353 people on a summer Sunday joined us in worship today. Isn't that incredible? And by the way, next week, 1,000 to 1,200 people will journey through this building down to that building, Judy, and will be used by that, you know, they'll be served in that tool. It was mindful of the things of God. Now, granted, God had to slam the door closed like the other bus, but the bottom line is, I'm glad we serve a church in a church that's learned to be mindful of things of God. Now, we need to nail that down. This is, listen, this is the game changer in your life. When we start understanding and realizing that what matters is the things of God, it will change how you live, how you spend money, how you spend your time. It will totally envelop your world. It will totally change your world. So, if that was enough, and again, I know this is a very common scripture, but it just flows, it starts to get better understanding. You know, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Bless are you, Peter. I'll build my church. Don't tell anybody. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. No, you're not, Peter says. It just starts flowing together. You've got to decide, Peter, things of God are things of man. And as if to solidify that, and as if to solidify our hearts tonight, this is what Jesus said. Then Jesus said, in light of all that you've heard, he said to his disciples, if you desire to come after me, if you want to be a Christ follower, if you want to follow me, um, then here's what's going to happen. You've got to be willing to deny yourself. Now, this is not a suggestion. You know, it's not like, like Dale Carnegie, you know, having with, uh, with friends and influence people. You know, it's not Jesus saying, now, if you'd like to be a successful Christian, this is what I would suggest. If I were in your shoes, this is what I would do. Your pastor said I was in your shoes. This is what I would do. This is the, this is the Messiah, the King, uh, saying to his potential followers, to his followers, okay, if you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. Now, now what that means, I, I would have two words, two sets of words. Write these down if you're taking notes tonight. Letting go and letting God. Letting go and letting God. So if you're going to deny yourself, you've got to let go of what's important to you. You've got to let go of your plans, your hopes, your dreams. You've got to let them go. And then, as it ties and meshes together, you've got to let God. See, in your life, there's not dual thrones. Hope you there's not dual thrones. The heart, your see your emotions, your heart has one throne. And either there is you or there is God. That, that's what I'm talking about. Because if it's you, that means there's another God. It's self, it's pride, it's arrogance, it's titles, it's prosperity, um, it's some other idol. But if you're in this sea, God can't be in this sea. So you've got to let go. If you're going to follow me, Jesus said. Now, again, now, I don't need to embellish this tonight. If you want to follow me, Jesus said, you've got to let go of your selfish dreams if you want to follow me. Now, now, now watch. Does this not fit in? What did Peter just say? No, no, wait, whoa, 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 time out. Jerusalem, suffering, death, uh-uh. That's not in my plans. And Jesus saying, because Peter's standing there, it just happened, Peter, 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 
You got to let go of your dreams. You got to let go of the prosperity Messiah and embrace the suffering Messiah. You've got to, to let go of the I'm gonna be a prince to I'm gonna be a martyr. You gotta let go of, of wanting to be what you want to be and be what I want you to be. You got to deny self. You gotta take up this cross thing. You know, I, I talked this a while back, last year, two years ago. But when a criminal was required, and most likely it was, it was not the full cross. We don't have one here. I can't believe that. Write that down in the cross. <laughs> you know, he wasn't, he didn't carry the cross theme at this part. Normally, he would carry just the cross theme. And that was hoisted up on the vertical bar. And so he would hold it this way, somehow embrace it, and carry this up there. And he was made to carry his cross from the place of judgment to the place of crucifixion. And as he carried that cross beam, everyone who saw that understood the message. Rome rules. If you go against Rome, this is what you get. And it said, I have submitted to Rome. Jesus said, when you take up this cross, you're not submitting to Rome. It's not saying, it's not the message that you're submitting to Rome. You are saying... I follow a new king, and that king is Jesus Christ. I have submitted, miss this, I have submitted to a new authority in my life. And that authority is Jesus Christ. So he says, take up the cross. Identify, identify with Christ. Shout out your submission to Christ. I, I let go, I let God, and I submit and I identify with Jesus Christ. And then he must follow me. And that's, you know, it's a new take. I, I, I read this, I said, never thought of that. You know, follow me, what do you think you follow? You play ball believer. You know, the person's in front of you, you know, and you follow them. If they go this way, you go this way, go that way. But but a clearer picture of that is, is to walk the road that Jesus walked. And we don't do this well. We wrestle with this. Jesus was one of those humble, loving, caring, compassionate person there was. Amen? I mean, you understand that Jesus didn't just stand at the door and open the door and say, would you like to go first? Jesus stood, opened the door and said to the whole world, come on through. He put himself at the end of the line for us. And, and he's saying, if you want to follow me, you go walk that same road. You, you've got to be the kind of person that I am. And again, this is not, I think I can, I can gin this up. This is letting Jesus just flow, ooze out of you. Once you trust Christ, it's letting through the Holy Spirit, it ooze out of you. That's what, it's a surrender and allowing God to just live out through you. That's what, that's what he tells to Peter. Peter, you've got to let this concept of who I am and who you are me go in the sense that, that I'm not going to be a conquering king. Yet. I'm not going to be a conquering king yet. Oh, there'll be a time for the conquering king. But that time, he was a submissive, suffering Messiah. And then he says, okay, and whosoever desires to save his life will lose it. In other words, Peter, guys, listen, 
if, if you're going to hang on to this concept of, I'm going to be the prince, and I'm going to be a rock star, and I'm going to have wealth, and I'm going to have all this, you need to understand something. You may gain that, but you're going to lose your, lose your life ultimately. You're going to leave, lose the thing that really matters. But then he says this, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, if you say, I will hold on to my hopes and dreams, ultimately you lose those hopes and dreams. But when your hopes and dreams become focused on the kingdom and on Christ, you'll never lose them. I mean, you know, again, they'll tell you you can't take it with you. Yes, you can. Come on, yes, you can. No, you can't pile it in a, in a U-Haul and haul it to the graveyard. No, you can't put it in your casket and take it that way. But when you're willing to operate in God's economy and think kingdom and live kingdom, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me, if you're willing to have the mindset of God and not the mindset of men, there's an economy in heaven. That's probably not a good word to use because we all make everything wrong. Stop, stop, stop. But there's an economy in heaven somehow, someway, where you can take it with you. And a lot of it involves hearing that blessed, nail-scarred Messiah Savior saying, well done, good, and faithful. So, hey, listen, the old song said it, I believe it, the Bible teaches it, it will be worth it all. You're not letting go here. You're just freeing your hands up. You know, you can't, you can't embrace the world and hug Jesus at the same time. The more you got in your arms, the less you can hug. You've got to let it go. So, so what if we did the prince thing? So, so what if what if somehow you talked me out of it, there was no cross, and I zapped the Roman government, we zapped our little kingdom? How long would that last? 30 years, 40 years? How long does earthly kingdoms last? If you're really, if you're a guy, and you live to be like 92, like wow. If you're a lady, you can make it maybe 100, wow. But what is that compared? What does that compare to eternity? Guys, if this stuff is really real, what does that compare to eternity? What would you give to change your soul? I was going to say tonight, what, what would you trade for Jesus? Even on a Sunday night crowd like this, maybe I should say, what are you trading for Jesus? What is it in your life that you're hanging on to and clinging to and you're trading Jesus for? Seriously, let it go. If you, if you want to be a Christ follower, you've got to let it go. You've got to nice it. Take it to the cross. So, here's the deal. I challenge you to go home, flip on your local Christian channel, and you're going to hear another gospel. You're going to hear some guys stand up and say, send me 10, I'll give you 100. You're going to say, send me this, I'll send you a call, and boy, you'll get healed instantly. You're, and you know what is huge? They're ministries. People love having their ears tinkle with a prosperity type, the best now, the best now gospel. Now, you know what? Life ain't too bad. I love this life. 
I mean, I, I, I should have said this morning, Bob said tonight, if I get this in my life, and I die, and oops, the Bible wasn't real, I really am just eat by worms, and the life is over, there's no reward, there's no heaven, there's no hell, I wouldn't have changed anything. It's been a really good life. But you know what? This is true. And there is a God, and there is a heaven, and there's a hell, and save your fork because the dessert is coming. The dessert is coming. I'm glad this world is, I'm glad life is good. I'm glad this been a week and part of my family. We laughed, and the kids attacked me. It was fun. But don't confuse that with heaven. I can't wait for the iPhone 6, but don't confuse it with heaven. I like big screen TVs, but don't confuse them with heaven. I like cars, but don't confuse them with heaven. It will be worth it all. And it's going to be better than you and I could ever, ever, ever dream. Father, you are just incredible. Help us, God. I know in some parts of the world, believers don't have this issue. We think about our friends in Liberia right now, West Africa, with the fear of Ebola. And many of those are believers, and their life is very difficult right now. I think, Father, of Christians in the Islamic world, where their life has been taken from them so quickly. Father, with you, all things are possible. So help us in this wonderful land called America. Thank you in all our blessings and our success to not mistake that for heaven or trade it for our souls. May we truly, truly seek you alone for us. We need you, God, to help us with that. We're learning we can't do this. It's just not in us. But you are in us. That makes it all possible. I thank you, Father, for this incredible church. I want to thank you for the group tonight, Father. It's a wonderful crowd on Sunday night. And I, I don't think it's the absent, Father. You put people here tonight that you want to hear these truths. Now, Father, I pray that they will take root in our lives. And, Father, as we wait tomorrow with our quiet times, we pray, bring these thoughts to our mind and cement them in our lives. Father, that we may be mindful of the things of God and not mindful of the things of God. In Jesus, I pray this.